Welcome to the Sermon Podcast for Canton Church. We gather every week in Canton, Georgia to worship and grow together through God's Word. We exist because generations matter. We hope you are encouraged by today's message. Today is one of my favorite Sundays of the year because it's Communicator Sunday. And so if you've been around our church for the last two years or so, um, we've done these a couple of different times, and it is by far one of our most popular Sundays uh, because we, we get to hear from people that are a part of our church. And, and so what this is going to be over the next few minutes is you're going to hear in this service from five different individuals in our church uh, that the Lord has just kind of helped to prepare a message for you. And so together, the five of them are going to really preach a sermon. Well, it's not one sermon that they've all got each, you know, they've each got one point, but it does, it is amazing how the Lord kind of constructs things and brings them together. Each of them were given the opportunity to just kind of pray about what the Lord would have them to share today. So you may hear a part of their personal testimony or story. You may hear a little bit of, of just scripture that the Lord has done something through in their life individually, and they want to share that with you. And, and so what I'm asking you to do is to really just receive this today as our sermon. In the next service, we've got five different individuals. And so what's really cool is over the last year and a half as we've done these Communicator Sundays, at the end of today, we will have heard from almost 40 different people within our church, which is amazing. These people were selected because uh, as we prayed about who we wanted to share in this, uh, this specific Communicator Sunday, these are people that have one or two things going for them. One, they have expressed to us a heart and a desire to really share the gospel. In some form or some fashion, we believe that they possess a calling or a gifting to share God's word with a, a group of people. So they, some of them are life group leaders, some of them lead in our, our children's ministry, or our youth ministry, and other ways that they serve in our church. Uh, and then a second thing is perhaps they have a specific story that they've shared that we believed would, would really encourage our congregation. And so as we prayed about it, we put the list together and invited them to be a part of this day. And just so you know where they've kind of, the journey they've walked in this last few weeks is they've prepared, uh, they have presented their material to this team and to me and some of our pastoral staff. Um, they've prayed and prepared and prayed and prepared and been nervous and gotten over it, right? Everybody's over it. Uh, but no, they're excited to share. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. In just a second, I'm going to introduce them. And then they're going to come up one at a time after we pray and be ready to present what God has laid on their heart. But this is not a circus act. It's not a novelty show. Um, this is the gospel. This is the message for today. And so if it, if it makes you laugh, laugh. Only if it's appropriate to laugh, okay? So don't laugh at them. Laugh with them. Uh, if it makes you cry, cry. Uh, but if you believe that the Lord is using it to speak something into your heart, just be open to that and be sensitive to what God might be saying to you through them today. So I want to introduce them. I'm going to ask you to turn the lights up just a little bit so we can introduce them and you can come back. In this service, we've got Alan Rines. We've got Amy Hollingshead, we've got Tim Cheetah, we have Brooke Magnuson, and Kyle Dunn. In advance, can we go ahead and give them a hand for what they're going to do? <laughs> Just an amazing team that's going to share in this, in this service, and then again, another team that's going to share in our 1130 service. So here's what I want to do. I want to pray just to set up our time today, and then in just a moment, they'll come one by one and share for a few minutes what the Lord has, has uh, led them to prepare for you today. God, we love you, and we thank you for Communicator Sunday, where we recognize that all of us have been gifted in different ways. All of us have a story, or we are a Jesus story in the making. And so, God, over the next few minutes, I pray that you would speak through these individuals what we need to hear as a church. And I pray for all of us that our hearts and our minds would be open to what they're going to share so that you can speak a truth into our lives so that when we leave this place, we carry with us the truth and the wisdom that you desire for us to have from this day forward. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, everybody. How you doing? 
Um, so I'm a baseball guy. I grew up playing ball, so I'm batting leadoff today. Uh, maybe that will keep us on time and on task, and I hope I don't talk too fast. But uh, so my name is Alan Rines, and my wife, uh, Jessica, and my four beautiful daughters um, have been attending and serving here for quite some time. Um, and I'm really thankful to have the chance to stand up here and speak to you guys today. I'm glad the lights are bright because I can't see everyone's face, so that makes it a little less nerve-wracking. I think it's pretty safe to say that at some point in each of our lives that you know, we've probably said or done something to hurt someone we love. Um, for me, uh, it happens probably a little too often. Um, but I've come to learn that it's the way I approach reconciliation uh, that can make forgiveness and healing possible. Um, so that's what I want to talk to you about today is seeking relational reconciliation. Feel free to take notes. Uh, hopefully uh, something's good in here for you. If you have a Bible, let's turn together to Matthew 5, 23 and 24. Matthew 5, 23 and 24. It's going to be up on the screen for you as well. Jesus says, so what if you are offering your gift at the altar and remember that someone has something against you? Leave your gift there and go make peace with that person. Then come and offer your gift. So for context, this passage was uh, right, coming right after Jesus' teaching about uh, murder and the idea that hatred or anger is like committing murder in our hearts. So how many know that our hateful words or actions can really cut to the core of the people we love, right? Um, so, but making peace is not always easy, right? Uh, in order to go and make peace, as Jesus says, I believe you need three key things, okay? The first thing you need is uh, make. Everybody say make. make. Number two, everybody say take. Okay. And number three, everybody say be. Okay, these three things are actions, right? Jesus said to go and make peace. So let's walk through these three things together. The first one is make a sincere and humble apology. Make a sincere and humble apology. Uh, Benjamin Franklin said, never ruin an apology, uh, never ruin a good apology with an excuse, okay? Like, I'm sorry I said that, but if you hadn't have done that, and I might not have said it. Well, that's not really an apology, is it? Uh, so if I'm the one who hurt you, I need to recognize the depth of the pain that I caused. It, it's taking this posture of repentance towards my loved one, right? Um, it, it's out of a heart that desires forgiveness, so I believe when we allow Christ to change us on the inside, we suddenly have this realization and, and recognition of repentance and forgiveness because we suddenly see how much we are forgiven for, right? The second ingredient uh, I think we need is, is action to change, all right? So we need to take action to change. After we apologize, there has to be some change in our behavior. Uh, I'm getting better at this part, but when I was younger in, in my uh, marriage and, and fatherhood, uh, it was something that I struggled with, and it drove division in my family because I would have a really great apology, uh, but then I might not fully take action to make a change in that behavior that required my apology in the first place. Um, you know, my struggle is with anger. Uh, my family will say that I'm uh, an intense person, uh, which basically means that if something happens in my life or in my home that I disagree with in some way, I will go from zero to zero in about two seconds, uh, and, I, and I'll make a mountain out of a molehill or a valley or a plateau or whatever it is. And, you know, but then if everything's a mountain, nothing is a mountain, right? If everything's important, nothing is important. 
Um, so I, and then I can have the most sincere apology about losing my temper, but and say all the right things, say them in the right way. But if I don't ask God to do a work inside my heart and, and take responsibility then for those actions, then, then what good is my apology? Um, it's the change that rebuilds the trust that was lost. Okay. Number three, if, if I'm the one who was hurt, I should look for that empathy and sincerity in an apology. Number three, the, 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 put that up for me. Thank you so much. Be willing to forgive. Be willing to forgive. It's another action. So if I'm the one who was hurt, I need to look for that empathy and sincerity in, in someone apologizing to me, and then I need to forgive them. I need to be quick to forgive them. Uh, Jesus told Peter, uh, 70 times 7 is the number of times. And, and it's not to say we're going to count them up, you know. Well, yeah, you know, I forgave you yesterday. That was uh, 281, so we're, we're on our way halfway. So uh, my question to you as I kind of wrap up is this. Is there someone in your life that you need to go and make peace with before you bring an offering? Um, do, you, do you need to repent with, repent with a remorseful heart the next time you hurt someone? And, and will you change the patterns of that hurtful behavior and move beyond just the apology and allow God to do a true heart change? Maybe there's someone you need to forgive. And, and that's kind of my challenge to you today is to take these three points and really put them into action and allow God to do a work in your heart. I pray God blesses you. Thanks so much. about having trouble and taking heart anyway. Uh, the reason I want to be up here, my heart today is like a good friend that's found something really exciting and I want to give you that information and share it with you as quickly as I can. And I'm somebody that's had some trouble. I'm sure I'm just like everyone else in here. You know, I'm a believer, I'm a mom, I'm a wife, I'm a daughter. I've been a member of this church forever. Um, you know, I'm a psychologist, now I'm a Mimi. And so all of those things are part of who I am. And so I have had some experiences in my life. In the last 10 years, we've had some economic downturns after 2008. We have had uh, deaths of my mom, of my father-in-law, of our best friends, some other family members. We've had wonderful things, too. We've seen our four daughters graduate from high school. We've seen two of them graduate from college, get married, and have a child each. And then our other two daughters are still in college, and they're working that out. So there's a lot of good things going on. I've had work challenges and I've had work successes, and those things are also good. Um, more recently, uh, April 14th, I lost my dad. Um, you guys knew him. He was a member of this church and very faithful. After a very whirlwind seven weeks of being his primary caregiver, then he went home to be with the Lord. Last Thursday, my mother-in-law passed away about 4 in the morning. Um, Thursday evening, about 6.30, my husband was in a pretty bad car accident and totaled his truck and it was knocked about 40 feet into a lawn of a bank and then Friday night one of my favorite uncles passed away. So these things happen. This is day in and day out. Good things happen, tough things happen, but we can take heart because of that. And so what I want you to know is that John 10.10 10 talks about how the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I've come that you can have life and have it abundantly. And also, I've said these things to you, still Jesus, I've said these things to you that in me you will have peace, that in this world you're going to have trouble, but take heart because I've overcome the world. And then lastly, looking at how we work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always made, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation 
with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And so when we ask Jesus into our heart, that's a done deal. That is a spiritual reconciliation, and we are made right with him. But we're not just a spirit walking around. And so when we can understand what makes us that we're spirit, soul, and body, then we can have a larger picture of what we are and how we're made, and we can apply the appropriate steps we need for help and healing and working out our salvation with fear and trembling. When it talks about the thief coming to steal, kill, and destroy, our emotions start in our thought processes. And so if we are focusing on what we focus on, we feel. And if that is somehow in error, or if that enemy comes because those whispers of thoughts in our mind, some of those aren't our original thoughts. And so if the enemy comes and says, okay, yeah, you're in that church and you're praying and you're holding your hands up, but you've been praying for this thing for years and it didn't happen, the enemy is coming to get you right in between the very things that can help you be whole and heal and work through those things. So emotions are different than your spirituality. You can be everything. You can be absolutely in alignment and just your heart breaking and trembling. You can be afraid. You can be full of anxiety. You can be lost and not know what your next step is. That's okay. That's our humanity. Let's make some space this morning for our humanity. And let's apply those things that we need to have because that is what keeps our energy growing and strong so that we can just deal with what we need to deal with. Scripture gives us truth and gives us foundational principles for everything. But there's absolutely nothing ungodly to have a great CPA do your taxes. Right? The University of Georgia playbook has every play is intended for a touchdown. They don't all go that way, though. But there's nothing ungodly about SEC football. Clearly, we know that. <laughs> there's nothing wrong with going to a physician and having a strep test on your throat and taking an antibiotic. And so please, if you hear any of those thoughts that try and derail you, that there's something wrong with your humanity, if you just want to ball up and have a good, ugly cry, there is good therapy in that. And there is also good chemicals that happen in your to feel and think what you think. And then when you move on past that, then that is where your hope and healing comes. So what we can trust is that the world has fallen. We're going to have trouble, and that's okay. Jesus warned us about it. We have community to get us through it, and we can trust God no matter what. Well, hi, everybody. My name is Tim Cheetah, like the cat. Woo! <laughs> uh, Anyways, so my wife and I have been going here for about uh, three years. We, we volunteer in kids' life, and uh, we really enjoy that. You all have very spiritually intelligent children. Uh, so to be honest with you, I'm scared because I was a last-minute addition uh, this week. <laughs> so it was very unexpected because it wasn't planned. But then that's how God works in my mind. So I wanted to spend a little bit of time on uh, speaking about the unexpected things that God does. One of my favorite stories in the Bible where God does a lot of unexpected things is in the story of Moses. So a lot of things happen to him that are unexpected. He uh, doesn't expect to find out that he is Jewish. He doesn't expect to find out or he doesn't expect to murder somebody, I'm sure, I'm sure. And I'm sure, I'm confident of this, 
that he does not expect to hear the voice of God coming out of a burning bush telling him that he's going to help deliver Israel out of Egypt. In fact, at this point in his life, he's just a simple shepherd, and he's about 80 years old. He didn't think he could do it. And in fact, there is a pretty funny, in my mind, back and forth between him and God for like a whole chapter where he's like, God, are you sure you know what you're doing? <laughs> so fortunately for us, God does know what he's doing. And as we uh, see throughout the story of Moses, uh, we, we see that he becomes this great leader and he sets his expectations beside and he does the Lord's work. So that brings me to my first point. God does things that are unexpected so that we can grow. I've seen this play out in my own life. Just a few years ago, I graduated college, and I was super hungry to start in the ministry. I had this whole idea in my head that when I graduated, I would get offered a position. And that pretty much happened. But the thing was, it was all the way in Oregon. And so I wanted the position, sure. But then I got a lot of pushback, and I was like, what the heck is going on? Because uh, I... You know, my family wants me to be this man of God, but nobody wants to see me fulfill it. And so it became this very contentious point in my marriage, and I kind of had to put it aside. But as I was doing that, uh, I was asked to help in kids' life. And never in my life would I think that I would be involved in children's ministry. Just ask my wife because we talk about it all the time. Um, but because I did that, my whole approach to ministry and discipleship has changed and grown and so that's God does unexpected things so that we can grow so the next story I want to share with you also has to do with Israel's deliverance but this time it's like 1300 years later see ever since the uh, Israel had came out of their exile from Babylon uh, they also had been occupied by foreign empires. Uh, this time, it was the Romans. And all of this only helped to fuel the expectation that their Messiah would liberate them through some sort of uh, spectacular military victory. But instead, God takes on flesh, and Jesus was born among smelly animals. But Jesus, he grows and he teaches and he shows us how to live the kingdom life. He upends all the strict relig religious expectations people were supposed to live by. And he tells us to love our enemy. Well, what kind of savior or what kind of messiah is this? This isn't what they expected. And to prove it, they crucified him. But something unexpected happened. Jesus Christ was resurrected and he defeated sin and death. So this leads me to my second point. God does unexpected things because he is transcendent. He sees the bigger picture because he is the bigger picture. Amen. The religious leaders and zealots were so focused on believing that the Roman occupation was their problem that they didn't see that the real boot on their neck was theirs and everybody else's spiritual distance from God. But God did see it. And so he did something that was completely opposite of what we do or what we would plan because he doesn't bind his actions to our standards because ultimately our standards and our wisdom fall short. Uh, scripture reminds us this, of this in the book of Isaiah where God says, 
For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your, uh, your ways my ways. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. So if you're asking me, Tim, where do you think you'll go next in ministry? The, honor, the honest answer, I don't know. I do know that there is work here to be done. And I'll let God reveal this place. Maybe right now you're, you, you find yourself in a place where your plans aren't going expected. Maybe God has completely surprised you. Now you are confused. My advice to you during this time is to open up and to the unexpected things God is doing. Trust and obey him. God doesn't just introduce something new to you and leave you. This brings me to my last point. God equips. He empowers Moses' staff, and he empowers you with the Holy Spirit. We can again look to scripture where Paul writes, I am confident of this that the one who began a good work among you will bring it to completion by the day of Jesus Christ. So, in church, let God grow you, let God equip you, because he is our bigger picture. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. My name is Brooke Magnuson. I'm super excited to be up here uh, with you all this morning. So last night, my husband and I rehearsed the personal part of our well, my story, our story, um, probably 50 times, and we we finally were realizing that it wasn't flowing. And we said to ourselves, we kind of started laughing and said, "That's funny because our last 13 years of marriage and our dating relationship prior never really flowed easily." Um, so I want to share a little bit about my story. So, and my desire to glorify God in every day, in the little moments, and those little moments, the day-to-day, -day, is something that I like to call in my life the daily dance. For a long time, I didn't do that well. Growing up, um, I was a driven athlete. I was a pretty good lacrosse player. Um, I was player of the year, top recruit in the country in 2002. I received the only full athletic scholarship to play for the number one school in the country. That is the University of Maryland, go Terps. Um, I was a captain, had an awesome four years there. I was in the driver's seat of my life, and life was really sweet. I got engaged, we got engaged uh, the summer of going into our senior year of school, which is really weird when you're in college. And. Um, I married my best friend uh, two weeks out of college, Paul. He went to the Naval Academy. And with uh, four years at the Naval Academy, you quickly learn that you have to leave as soon as you graduate college. And so we got shipped off to Charleston, South Carolina, not a bad place to spend our first year of marriage, which is really nice. <clears throat> so I went to college with a boyfriend, and I left college with a husband. That was a funny little thought I had last night. <laughs> um, <laughs> We started our military career, and all the control that I thought I had was suddenly gone. Even though, at the age of 24, we were invited to a church that was in a building next to a blockbuster, and growing up Catholic, I thought, holy cow, heck no, can't go there. Um, but that is where we gave our hearts to God, and it's amazing when you take 
peel back the layers and don't judge ahead of time. I learned that lesson real quick. Um, I never gave up, even though we gave our hearts to God, I never gave up wanting to control the details of our daily dance. In our 13 years of marriage, we've lived in eight houses. We've endured five deployments together. My husband was gone for months in a submarine underwater with the shrimp and whales. Um, there was little to no contact the entire time he was deployed. Three of those deployments I did with my, my sweet son, who's sitting right here. Um, I had to deploy when Landon was eight weeks old, so that was pretty tough. And uh, we were 25-year-olds, and in we went. And all during that time, I was also a Division I coach for Jacksonville University women's lacrosse team and started that program there with amazing, an amazing family. Even today, outside of the military, I embrace this busy uh, daily dance. I'm, a I'm currently a business owner, and I get to coach and mentor hundreds of girls a year through the avenue of lacrosse. Uh, today, I'm the head coach for the girls lacrosse team at Roswell High School, and I'm the director of lacrosse for the city of Roswell. Um, I do all that while trying to keep my family happy and balanced, and uh, the daily dance can be a struggle sometimes. Busyness, like I believe so many of you here today, is at the core of my existence, and I still battle with control and trying to dictate the outcome of my daily dance every single day. On top of all that, I'm also a personal stylist, I'm a maid, I'm a therapist, I'm a chef, I'm a nurse, I'm a personal driver, I'm a comforter, I'm a police officer, I'm a personal assistant, I'm a best friend, I'm a safety net, and almost 100% of the time I am a referee. <laughs> I am a mama to four incredible children, my sweet babies, all under the age of 10, and we also have a giant Great Dane puppy, which we added to the mix. We are crazy. So me in a nutshell, like many of you, I just am super busy. I can handle a lot. I always have a lot on my plate. I actually, I do that to myself. I believe I can handle it all, and a lot of the times I can handle it all. But I noticed something about myself that I wasn't aware of. Moment by moment, my hands would be so tight. My hands would always be so clenched. The more I hold on to, the harder things get, the messier things get. I try to control and conquer it all, all by myself with my hands clenched. In the moment, it's easy to not see how clenched I am and how I'm trying to control my daily dance. But when I sit back and reflect, I see similar daily struggles. Struggles such as being too busy. I prioritize my work over my kids. I work, I was on a work call the other day, my daughter came running in and I shooed her away because of work and all she wanted to show me was a new freckle. And that's a big deal in our house, we're covered in freckles. Um, I can get so busy, <laughs> and I forget to give my time and attention to my kids that they deserve. And ever since I was little, I can remember people say, what do you want to be when you grow up? I just said I want to be a mommy. I've always said that. And I'm so thankful to have four incredibly unique, thoughtful, sweet, beautiful children who are healthy and strong. And because my work is so busy, I forget in my day-to-day -day how cherished and they are to me because of deadlines and due dates. Another one I struggle with is time. When your kids go to kindergarten, time moves fast. Life moves fast, school years come and go. And being 100% present with your time is hard to do, but being somewhat present is sometimes harder. I want my loved ones to look back and see that I was present because I chose to be. And another one that I struggle with is hashtag adulting is hard. Well, hashtag 
Momming is hard. Can you hang out? I, can you tell I hang out with teenagers all the time? Um, raising four children to know and love our Lord, in my opinion, is, is, am I doing it right? Are they getting enough veggies? Is Jurassic Park a bad movie for them to watch? I say no. I love that movie. Will they be ready to take on the real world? What is the real world? Social media is so scary. Going to school is scary based on what we see on the news too many times. I feel like I fail my kids 100 times a day. I react in anger or frustration with a voice, a facial expression too many times instead of showing love, grace, and mercy. But what if, what if where we fail, what if that's a place where God gets really big for them? In these moments, it's in those moments that I see my hands are clenched so tight that when there is no way, that there's no way I'm opening up myself to his love and mercy and grace, even when it's freely given. It's when I release my clenched hands and open up my hands to God that I can truly glorify him and surrender. Surrender my daily dance. Welcome him into my day, my moment to moment. It's in my daily dance where I can discover that he is who he truly says he is. My sweet friend, my shield, my savior, my father, my person. I'm learning that when I surrender, that even in my failures, he's using me for what he created me for. It's in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 11 and 12. With this in mind, we constantly pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and that by his power, he may bring to fruition your every desire for goodness and your every deed prompted by faith. We pray this so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God, the Lord Jesus Christ. Right where we are, right where it's on the field catching a game, whether it's watching the anniversary showing, I hope, up in the maze of Jurassic Park, or reading our kids a bedtime story, we're doing kingdom work. Our mission field is right where we are. It's our daily dance. My challenge to myself and all of you today is to give Jesus control over our, over our daily dance. When our hands are clenched, we are not glorifying God. But when we open up our hands and release it all and welcome him into our, into our daily dance, we're truly glorifying God. Thank you, guys. Good morning. So like Alan, I'm a baseball fan as well. So if he batted lead off, I guess I'm the pitcher in, in the order. So I, I don't know if that's a good thing. Um, so sorry. So for those who don't know me, um, my name is Kyle Dunn. I'm married to my amazing wife, Erica. Uh, two daughters, uh, Tinsley and Peyton. And uh, we've been attending Canton Church here uh, for about a year and a half now, and and we really love it here, uh, and we love the work that, that God's doing in, in this place. Uh, but I could I can still remember our first day here. Uh, had some nerves, uneasiness coming in, like any new thing that you do. Uh, but what really added to our uneasiness that day was um, was our youngest daughter Peyton. This was going to be the first time that she was going to be left with someone other than family. So, we're a nervous wreck. <laughs> um, she had just turned one at the time, and, and any parents out there I'm sure can relate to how we were feeling that day. Uh, so we finally get her checked in, we drop her off. Uh, Mindy, she's crying at this point. Um, we make our way into the service. Now, as we left the building that day, I can't tell you if that was one of the weeks that Jeremy preached a good or bad message. <laughs> I'm, I'm assuming it was good. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> um, 
because I, I, I was so focused on, on the fear and the worry that we had, that, that I had for, uh, for Peyton. And, and that's kind of what I want to talk about today is, is fear and worry. So we all have fears in our lives. Um, any Braves fans out there, if, if you're anything like my dad, then you fear every time that they go to the bullpen. <laughs> um, if you're anything like my wife, uh, you may fear that the shoes you're wearing that day are matching your outfit. Uh, so we all have fears. Um, could be becoming a parent for the first time, uh, a health crisis, financial struggles, um, the news, uh, everything that's going on in the world today. And the list could really go on and on. Uh, but if we're not careful, uh, fear can really take over and, and can dominate our lives, which really takes our focus away from God. Uh, fears are often born from a, from a sense of an uncertainty and often uh, a desire to control the outcome uh, rather than just trusting in that obedience to God. And worry is simply fear uh, that things won't work out the way we want them to. Uh, so I'm going to jump right into um, jump right into Scripture. Um, look, I'm looking in Deuteronomy chapter 31, and and here uh, God is reassuring the Israelites that all is going to be well. He, he's removing Moses a, as their leader, uh, and he's also removing him from from their midst. And he knew that the turmoil that they were feeling. Um, they they really trusted this voice, this was God's voice to them, and, and so they really, they were really, this was really a big monumental change for them. Um, so, so God was removing Moses, Joshua was to take over at that point. So looking at Deuteronomy chapter 31 verse 8, it says, he will never leave you uh, nor forsake you, uh, do not be afraid, do not be discouraged. Uh, so these words were spoken uh, to the Israelites, uh, but these are the same words that are spoken to us as well in, in our time of fear, our time of worries. It is always his intention for us to walk in his peace. So to me, this verse speaks volumes about God's heart for us, his determination of how he really wants us to see him. Uh, he's able to walk with us as we go through our most intimate trials. Uh, he's telling us there's no reason to be afraid. He's not going to leave us. He's not going to abandon us. He has everything under control, uh, and everything is under his watchful eye. So, so in our lives, we may, we may have times that, 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 that changes are coming. It, it could be a, a divorce. It could be changes at work. But we're, we're, we're going to have those times where we're fearful of what's coming next. Uh, but we have to remember that, that God is on our side. He is never going to leave us. He's never going to abandon us. Uh, chapter, uh, Isaiah chapter 43 verse 1 says, Don't fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. So the phrase fear not is, is used in the Bible at least 80 times. Most likely because he knows he knows that the enemy uses that fear to, to really take our faith and our hope. Isn't it great that we serve such a powerful God that knows us by name and really deeply cares for us? When we wrap, really wrap our minds and our hearts around this, it, it's hard to remain fearful of the future. Jesus himself expressed fear to the point of sweating blood, so God really understands that, 
uh, that fear is a natural thing. So whatever you're, whatever you're fearing, focus on the power of a God who calls you by name and commands that fear to flee from your heart. So in closing, I uh, just want just to say there always gonna, there's always going to be moments in our life where, where we're worried to give ourselves over to God. But the truth is we can really trust him with our fears. Obedience does not require us to be fearless. It only asks that we have the faith to follow God in difficult times. I believe we weren't saved, that we weren't saved and redeemed to just limp through life, being fearful, uh, full of anxiety. Uh, God can really only be our rock if we allow him to. But that's what he wants to do. He wants to be our rock. He wants to be there for us. So we just have to trust him. So I'm going to ask you, what fears are you facing today? Are you willing to let go and let God take control of those fears for you? If we don't look to God and place our trust in him, we carry a burden that we were never meant to bear alone. And last thing I want to leave you with is, is a quote. It says, never be afraid to trust an own unknown future to a known God. Thank you so much. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to introduce all five of them now, and then they're going to come up one at a time. So we've got Morgan Pope. We've got Garrett Snyder. We have Adam Smith. We have Maddie Holloway and Marcy Baymiller. So in advance, can we go ahead and thank them today for what they're going to share? Hi, everyone. All right, so if we haven't met before, my name is Morgan Pope. I am a freshman at Lee University. Um, go Flames. And I have been lucky enough to call Canton Church, or what was Mount Perrin North Canton Campus, my home for six years now. Um, today, well, first, I'm going to warn you, I have terrible stage fright. And yes, I do lead worship sometimes, but sometimes it feels like there's an earthquake happening right below me that no one else feels. So if you see me grab the table, just bear with me. Um, today, I'm going to share my testimony and what I've learned about my own faith over the past year or so. Um, growing up, I was always religious. I have tons of memories of just going to church when I was really, really young. Um, and I was kind of just dragged there. I mean, I wasn't 18. I wasn't an adult. I had no other option, but I wouldn't trade it for anything. Um, but for the majority of my life, I would say up until like the past four years or so, along with many teenagers, I called myself a Christian, and I checked that box, and I moved on. I was like, well, that's it. I was wrong. Um, I found myself adopting the beliefs of not only my family or my church, but I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I'm just saying I didn't really understand what it meant to be a Christian. Um, I spent, like, my whole life just calling myself that, not pursuing it in any way, shape, or form. I prayed every night, but they weren't genuine prayers. I was just like, let me have good dreams, amen, and that was it. But um, during my junior year was the first time my faith was ever questioned. Um, on September 8th of 2017, I walked into my high school like it was a normal Friday. I went to my first period class, and then I went to my second period class, which was homeroom. And I sat down and realized that one of my friends wasn't there. I, after about five minutes, got a text message that one of my close friends had been in a car accident and passed away. Um, I was completely in shock. I refused to believe it. It wasn't until people came into the class sobbing and it's spreading around the whole classroom that I did accept it. I was shocked. I 
had so many why questions. Um, why would God do this? Why would God take away someone who spread his love to everyone, even those who might not have felt it, might not have had very many friends in school? I was confused, and I was hurt, and over time, all of this built up, and I was very angry at God. Many times, I would find myself sobbing when I was alone, not only because I was sad that my friend was gone, but also because I had never been at a point in my faith where I did not trust God, that I didn't want to speak to him, and I honestly didn't know how to get out of it. It was during this season that I had a period filled with anxiety and depression. I pushed away all of my friends at school, and by April of 2018, I found myself with very few friends, and those I had were not the ones I should have been browning myself with. For months, I questioned God and his glory and if he was even there. But June 21st, 2018, if you've ever been to North Georgia Church at youth camp, you know that Thursday night is Holy Spirit night, that you, everyone, will feel it no matter what. Like, grade school week, middle school week, we had boys out at 3 a.m. praising the Lord, singing worship songs. I don't know what was happening, but the Spirit moves in very confusing ways. But um, June 21st, 2018, I had been leading... 30 middle school girls um, the whole entire week. Don't know why I had that many, but I did, and I was put through a lot. Zero sleep, but also getting to see the spirit move in their lives was one of the best things I've ever experienced. Um, but for myself, I wasn't doing too well. I cried out for the Lord. I asked him to move in my life, but I wasn't ready for it. Um, that Thursday night, it was probably, well, Thursday night, Friday morning. It was like 1.30, 2 a.m., we were up, the night had been insane, and I was outside on a park bench and was filled with the Holy Spirit, and I literally was surrounded by prayer warriors, people who I don't think I'd be at this point in my life without them, many who are in this building right now. Um, for the next month, I chased after the Lord with every part of my being. I did a devotional every single day, and I felt very secure in my relationship with Him. But entering senior year, it was the worst few months I have ever been through in my whole entire life. Um, September-ish, I found out what happened then and what had happened for the past few years. I was being taken advantage of by an older mentor of mine. Um, I was at my lowest point, and whenever I needed someone to talk to, he was the person I went to. But he used that window of pain as an opportunity to build a connection with me, just ruin it. I spent weeks blaming myself for not only what had happened to me, but what had happened to friends of mine, other people. Um, for over a month, I was questioned over and over again by what had happened. Um, people all around, people in school. I had had people make up rumors about me, saying I started it all by myself and was just for attention. And I felt this amount of shame surrounding me. It wasn't until this past March that I decided I was done with the anxiety and depression and that I needed to rebuild my faith. And I wouldn't be here without Dr. Casey and Haley helping me through that. Um, they just encouraged me every single day to read my Bible, to open up the Word, and to sit and process everything I was reading. Um, I did this every day. I only listened to worship music. I stopped talking to a ton of people at my school just because I wasn't going to accept the negative energy they fed into my life. Um, it was during this time of hard work that I began to see God's glory in these seasons of hardship. Even though I was very upset with God about my friend passing away, so many people came to know Christ because of how she loved others. I also learned that this situation helped me prepare for the hardship to come.
Being taken advantage of by this mentor was unspeakable in many ways, but it was during that time that I, le that I learned how to have immense grace. If I was able to give this person and even feel bad for them and hope for good to come in their life, I knew I would be able to forgive others in the future. Romans 8, 35 through 37 says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or dirt or sword? As it is written, because of you, we are put to death all day long. Oop, I lost my place. We are counted as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. In this verse of Romans, Paul is stating that nothing shall separate us from God's love, no matter what. But our relationship with God is meant to be pursued both ways. I once heard a speaker say, God is not a stagnant God. Meaning, God is always performing miracles, God is always doing work in our lives. But... The most important part of this for me during this season was we were not made to be stagnant Christians. We were made to pursue him day in and day out, whatever that looks like. God made us. He knows everything that makes us who we are. He knows the desires of our hearts. He knows everything. But he wants us to continue to know us. He wants to talk to him and to pray to him and to worship him. It is in doing these things that we build a stronger relationship with him. Thank you. Oh, yeah. How's it going? I'm about to throw up. I'm going to be honest. I held my breath the whole time she was up here. So if I fall out, I'm going to need some men to come assist me. Uh, what's up? My name's Garrett Snyder. My wife, Lindsay, and I have been going here for going on two years now. Um, she uh, serves with the worship team uh, occasionally, and we both work with... Um, these students in Canton Youth, shameless plug, come out on Wednesdays. Uh, it's a good time. So uh, on July 23rd of 2010, my life changed forever. My sister, my younger sister, Caitlin, um, had uh, a baby. His name was Jacob. He's my first uh, nephew. Um, I brought some photos for you guys to check out. These are some of our more favorite memories over the years. Um, as you can tell, he got his good looks and a sense of humor from his uncle, so he's going to be pretty set. Uh, my wife and I don't have any kids of our own yet. Um, we're still enjoying this thing called sleep. Uh, we get to, like, love on our friends' kids and squeeze their cheeks and then uh, send them home and get eight. So that's the Lord, if you ask me. Um, being in my nephew's life um, has given me a glimpse at how amazing uh, fatherhood is going to be, and, and I can't wait to have a child of our own. Um, but in the meantime, I've gotten to experience um, and watch grow up and, and experience things for the first time, tastes, sounds, smells, and then even start to develop his own personality, um, just the things that make him laugh and the things that upset him. Um, while all of it has been extremely rewarding, I've been challenged with anger and bitterness over the last nine years that, as it became apparent shortly after he was born that his dad was not going to step into in his life. Um, the look in his eyes I see when he turns to me during those important moments to make sure I'm close and the way that he embraces me as a father figure is a constant reminder of the deepness of love that God has for us. Um, and the desire that he has me to turn to him and embrace him in those important moments in my life. Um, it also raises the question for me, uh, how does our absence from quiet time, negligence, 
of prayer and living in his word affect the presence of God, my father, your father, um, in our lives? Does he have to constantly seek our embrace? Is he longing for our attention? Um, a scripture that I've leaned on uh, frequently over the years is Jeremiah 29, 11 through 14. It says, for I know uh, the plans I have for you, the plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope in a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart, and I will be found by you. Um, this verse speaks to me on a couple of different levels. It reminds me that even when I stumble, God remains close, and he longs for my connection and shows me grace daily. Um, but just as importantly, it's been a guideline um, of sorts on the way that I would present myself in my nephew's life. Um, a reminder to always give him a sense of future and hope to make sure that he knows that he will um, forever have me there when he calls upon me. Um, I want to end with the fact that um, over the years, as, as rewarding as it's been to have him as a part of my life, one of the more rewarding things is to see the role that my sister has stepped into as a single mother, um, the strength and courage um, that she has developed to, to overcome those trying times and to kind of vulnerable enough to lean on those people in her life um, for support. Um, so I want to challenge you guys, uh, men specifically, um, to find a child or a teenager or young man in your life who may or may not have a positive male figure or a leader and make yourselves available to them. Um, I also want to encourage you uh, to find a single mother or single parent. Um, bless them in any way that you can. Let them know that their value. Um, let them know their value and show them how it feels to be loved. Uh, allow the scripture that I referenced um, to be a guide for you as a parent, as a mentor, as a leader, to extend the compassion, the love and grace that God, our Father, has for us. Thank you. Good morning. Um, first of all, thank you, Pastor Jeremy and Corey for allowing me to be up here to share. I've never done this before, but I will say that we have the most amazing church staff and leaders. Um, my wife and I love this church. Um, for those who don't know me, I'm Adam Smith. My wife Jessica and I have seven children, a family that might stress out the average person. We embrace every day. Doesn't mean we don't get stressed out, but uh, it's part of life. Um, so we have seven kids, like I said, and ranging from 17 years old all the way down to three, which it looks like about half of them are in here, four of them it looks like. So um, it didn't take us long to realize that we were built in, we were, we were made to be companions. We were there, we were there to complement each other. When we met, our parents actually asked us if we're willing to have multiple kids because they both knew our strong desire to have a large family was there. Uh, we met in youth group at church. She, uh, she decided she was 17 years old and I was 19 when we met. We got married very shortly after, so we decided to start our family at a very young age. And we never stopped. We, we knew we had a desire, we knew we had a plan, and we went for it. Um, I, believe I'm, <laughs> I believe I'm called to greater. I, I, I believe I'm called to great things and to lead my family in a great way. I've been called to, call, I've been called to change a generation is what I've been called to do. Uh, I've been called to lead a way to teach my children how to love Christ and how to love others. Um, during my life, 
I've been given many names and titles. Adam Christopher Smith and son were given me by my parents. Husband and father was a name given me by my, my wife when we got married. Addie given me by seven amazing children. Foam guy and boss was given me by a company I'm blessed to own, but a lot of names people-wise they have is worshiper. A title given amazing, omnipotent God that earned our worship through all of unbelievable accomplishments from the starting of creation to carrying the cross up a hill to die on it. Why would he do that? Why? Why? Because he loves us. It says in Psalms 107, uh, verse 15, I think it says, let him praise the Lord for his greatness, love, and wonderful things he's done for them. The Bible gives you worship him. There was a time in life I, was, I wasn't saved, and I didn't know there was a God. There was a time I didn't know I was called a child of God or a worshiper of God. I didn't know I was created, created to create the, I didn't know I was created to worship the creator. There was a time I didn't realize he died for me. Even though I'm technically a third generation Christian, I wasn't raised in church. I was a child raised in a great home with loving, caring parents that taught me the, the characters of Christ, love, gentleness, tenderness, all the things that you need to be a great human. My parents instilled me the fear of God without me even knowing who I feared. We didn't attend, we didn't ever attend church, although things began to change. When I was around 12 years old, I'll never forget sitting in the back seat of my parents' Ford Taurus station wagon. My brother telling stories he heard at church camp, somebody invited him to, about how, to, how you had to ask Jesus into your heart to get into heaven. I'd never heard this before, so I decided right then at that point that I would do it. I was sitting in the back seat of my parents' Taurus wagon in the jumper seat facing backwards as we're pulling into a Mexican restaurant on Highway 9. Yes, I love Mexican as well. I actually wore my tacos. <laughs> so um, I don't think I've ever told me that story. I don't know that I even told Jessica that story at this point, but it was a pivotal point of who I've become in my life. I started 10 church when I was in my teen years. Um, some people invited us, so my family started going. I knew I was called to something different. I never knew what that was, though. I didn't really struggle with the drinking, drugs, bad language, all the bad stuff that people had. I had what I called an extreme conscience. I realized later the extreme conscience was the Holy Spirit that spoke to me when things that may not supposed to be doing, that I may have been doing wrong. Um, I knew I had to live a life that represented something better than what my peers were representing. At that point, I just wasn't sure why. It was my t mid years. I began, I began to attend church on a very regular basis, and I had a plan. I just didn't know what it was. As I grew up and became a late teen, I created a life that I, kn I knew I wanted my future kids to have. So I needed to continue to live a life that would be honorable to God and honor God, admirable and honor to God. I knew I had to raise my children in church. Why? Because I needed to know the creator, the almighty God, Jesus as their savior and the Holy Spirit as a guider. Plus, I always think to myself, if you want to be somebody, surround yourself with what you want to be. So why not and, and surround my family in church? That's why we're here pretty much when it's open. You see, if I was going to raise children that love God and loved other people, they would have to know how to worship God. They are, there are so many things to get worship in this life, in this world. Why not choose to worship him? So as, as, I, as a parent, I want to raise my children in a home knowing that Jesus died for them and that he is worthy to be worshipped. To be a worshiper is a calling and a gift, a gift and a calling that I believe every single person has. It says in Psalms 150, verse 6, Let everything that has breath sing praises to the Lord. The word says to worship God and put no other idols before him. Worship him, nothing more. I believe chains are broken while worship through music. I know that God gets to, my, gets to see my truest heart during my time of worship, and I can show my heart to God and open up like no other time of the day but when I'm in worshiping him. 
It is very common practice in our home to worship. We have an Alexa device, and if you walk into our home at any given moment in the day and you ask Alexa to play a song, chances are it either start with worship music or Baby Shark, because we have a three-year-old that <laughs> asks to play Baby Shark all the time. Something I've always said that if worship wasn't such an important, strong part of the day, churches all over the world wouldn't begin their service with songs of worship. With that said, I believe worship doesn't stop at just singing songs to him. I believe worship is showing kindness to a stranger. I believe worship is being friendly to your wife and your kids. I believe worship is saying no to the things that just distract you from time to invest in your kid's life. I believe that worship is more than just song, but it's everything you do on a daily basis. So my challenge is as you go through life and we serve a more than deserving God, don't let a day go by where we aren't showing somebody Christ's love through worship by being kind and gentle. Um, worship in a way that reflects the true heart of God. We need to learn how to worship now on earth because we are created, our spirits are created to worship him. We will spend the rest of eternity worshiping Jesus as our father. Good morning, everyone. Uh, my name is Maddie Holloway, and I've been coming to Canton Church with my parents for a little bit over a year now. Um, I actually just started college at Mercer University, and uh, I kind of want to talk to you about that today. Not necessarily about uh, my time in college so far, but more about the time leading up to it and what God taught me. Uh, first, I want to take a little detour and talk about summer camp. So I was invited to be a camp counselor at a camp that was put on by Canton First Baptist and the school that I just graduated from. And it was a lot of fun. I got to hang out with kids that I uh, went to school with and got to see them grow spiritually. Um, I only had to kill like five spiders over that week. <laughs> but I think the most memorable part was whitewater rafting on the Okoe with um, five middle school girls and a river guide. There were some parts that were really calm and serene where we could just look around and enjoy the view, and other parts that were honestly kind of scary. Um, at one point, we had to like crouch down in the bottom of the boat to make sure that nobody fell out and smacked their head on something. Um, but by the end of it, uh, so much time had passed, and we didn't realize how much ground we had covered. And um, for me, that's kind of what God's will has looked like in the past few years. I think I was in... 10th grade when I first heard about the United States Naval Academy. And at first, I kind of forgot about it. It's um, a college up in Maryland. And uh, it was off of my radar. But a few months later, I was praying and asking God about military service and if that was something that I was called to. Um, and the next morning, my dad got an email from someone with contact information for someone who worked there. So I took that as a cue that that was something that I was supposed to pursue. So for the next year, I studied so hard. I did pretty much anything that I could to make a good application so that I could um, pursue what I believed was God's plan for me. But somewhere along the way, I turned what I was his plan for my life into my dream and my ambition and my goals. So I was really wrestling with this. And for the first couple of months um, in my senior year of high school, I was questioning, is this where God wants me to be, or is this where Maddie wants to be? And um, through a lot of prayer and godly counsel, I eventually just said, Lord, if this is not where you want me to be, please just close the door. 
And as you probably heard at the beginning, um, that I'm not at USNA. When God eventually closed that door, there was a sense of relief and peace that I hadn't felt in such a long time. Um, he took me from a place where I felt like I was in level four rapids. And he brought me to a place of calm where I could look around and just say, wow, look at where God has brought me. It didn't have to, it wasn't a, um, a lot of work on my part. I didn't have to paddle upstream. Um, it was as simple as allowing him to have control. His will isn't dependent on my abilities or my talents. I just have to be obedient and be submitted to him. So during that time, we're trying to figure everything out. Um, my mentor and I prayed this verse um, from Ephesians 1, 17 through 19. And that's what I want to pray over you. So it says, Pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, so that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what is the wealth of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the mighty working of his strength. I'm Marcy Bay Miller. Um, my family and I have been coming here for about a year now, and I wanted to tell you part of my story that will help you remember or know that God still does miracles. Um, when I was 17 in July, so it was um, in the summer of my 17th year, I was on my way to work, and a tractor trailer pulled out in front of me, and my car went up kind of underneath where the, where the wheels meet the cab. And so I was rushed to North Fulton Hospital um, with a severe brain injury. And I was in the ER, and all, all my family, um, of course, came, and my friends. And by the end of the day, that first day, the doctors told my parents, um, well, it's bad, but at least her vital signs are starting to stabilize. We're going to see what happens. But one of the nurses was watching my pupils really closely and noticed that they started to change sizes, and he knew that was an emergency. So he told the doctor, and they, they rushed me into what was going to be an emergency craniotomy. So those are really um, a serious thing, and so they told my parents, um, this, is, this is really bad. She probably has less than a 1% chance of living, but if she does, she'll be a vegetable, and that's kind of the best you can hope for. And so I, um, my mom collapsed, and my grandma was with her, and my grandma, um, they actually put her on, and my mom, on the third floor, not as a patient, but just to get some rest, because they told her, you're going to have to make some hard decisions in the morning when this is all over. And so my grandma had this word from the Lord that said, it was from Genesis 50, 20, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. And the Lord also told my grandma, I will perfect that which concerns you. And through this whole um, season in our lives, we had to hold on to that so tightly to those words. So the craniotomy was going on, which is where they take out part of your skull because what was happening was my brain was hemorrhaging. And so they needed to remove part of my skull so that it could kind of hemorrhage and um, wouldn't do any more damage. And so um, my family and my dad and my youth group kind of took over the hospital waiting room and made it into a prayer room. And I have to tell you, you've got to get your kids into a good youth group because it made such a difference in my life, not just at that point, but just this, it's a huge thing 
for kids when they're that age to be in, in a good youth group. And this church has an awesome one, so I would really encourage you to get your kids in a good youth group. And some of them are even here today. But when the surgery was going on, my dad was in the prayer room, the waiting room, and he was looking really confused. And one of the EMTs from the accident, from the scene of the accident, said to him, you know, are you okay? How are you handling this? And my dad was just said, I just don't understand. I thought she was going to be okay. I saw when you guys were putting her into the ambulance, I saw her move her arm. And I just knew that that meant she was not dead, that she was going to be okay. And the EMT said, well, no, sir, that's, that's impossible. You didn't, you didn't see that. And my dad said, no, I mean, I know it's a really bad brain injury, but I saw her move her arm. And the EMT said, sir, even if she was able to do that, we had her strapped to the board to put her into the ambulance. You did not see her move her arm. And so my dad feel, believed that that's a miracle from the Lord to show him that things were going to be okay so that he could go home and get my mom and drive to the hospital. And so, um, so the surgery went on all night, and I came through, and the doctors told my parents, okay, we're going to put her into a medically induced coma to kind of get her brain to calm down. And um, so they did that, and I was in a medically induced coma for two weeks. And then after that, I came out of that, and for four weeks, I was put on the rehab floor of the hospital um, to learn how to talk and walk and do things like that again because of the part of my brain that was hit was what controlled all those um, movements. And so then I was released from the hospital. It had been a total of six weeks. And instead of going to my senior year of high school, I went to an outpatient rehab center. And I continued to learn how to talk and walk and do things like that. Well, in October, because this, the um, accident happened in, June, in July, in October, I was going to have another surgery to have that piece of my head put back in that they had taken out during the craniotomy. And so I had that piece put back in, and on the operating table, I actually had a seizure, and I lost my speech. Everything I had been working so hard to learn how to talk again, I lost my speech. But it also um, fixed my face, because I had had half of my face had been paralyzed from the accident. And so when I had the seizure, it fixed my face, and I was able to smile and everything again. And we found out that the school, the high school where I would have gone, um, except I was in rehab, but they had nominated me for homecoming queen. And this was all a week before um, the surgery. And so they had nominated me for homecoming queen. And so when I had the surgery and then had that seizure and my face was fixed, I was able to smile when I was homecoming queen. So that was just such a huge deal to a 17-year-old girl. And then um, in January, I went back to high school. And I actually finished, I finished in May. I finished on time. And then I went to college and I studied nursing. And so now I am a nurse at the same hospital uh, where I had had the surgery and the, um, where I went after the accident. And I'm actually on the mother-baby floor, and then through the double doors is the rehab floor where I was on rehab. And I am completely healed, and I just have to tell you, I know it's said a lot, but if you work hard and you pray hard, God still does miracles. What an incredible thing to hear these stories today. And what I love about the way that these things kind of work themselves out is, you know, we, we, we hear, we take what they submit to us, we listen to them as they preach it to an empty room, and, and we try to piece together the, you know, the different services, which five are going to speak in which service. And I promise we don't, we don't really intend to do it, but it's amazing that when they submit what they feel called to share or led to share on that day, how the Lord just weaves some of these stories together. If you came to the 10 o'clock service, you would have heard an entirely different theme. 
this idea of the unexpected and, and trusting God and, and, and forgiving others and, and seeking forgiveness and all those kind of things. And then in this service, you hear like through personal heartache or personal tragedy or how God's will can be accomplished and how God works all things together for good. And, and so I don't know today what you're walking through, but maybe something specific that was shared in this service through one of these incredible communicators, you go, that's exactly what I needed to hear today. That God's will sometimes feels like a stage four or a rapid. I mean, it seems crazy. I feel like I'm about to fall out of the boat. And then sometimes I'm feeling like the circumstances of my life feel like seizure on the operating table. But in an amazing way, God takes that and turns it around where it fixes my face. <laughs> it changes the circumstances of what I'm walking through. And if I can view it through the lens of who God is and what God is trying to accomplish in the larger story, okay, then maybe I can trust God even in the midst of circumstances that I would not have chosen for myself. And I'm not trying to say that everything that you walk through, you always know the bigger picture. So often we don't know what God is doing. And yet, if we can find ourselves in a place of trust, God, I trust you. God, I love you. God, I'm believing in, in faith. If I have nothing else to believe you with, that you love me and you want the best for me. And here's what I believe. You, you may have listened today and said, hey, I, I would love the opportunity to stand on this stage and to share my story. Others of you are like, I wouldn't do it if you paid me a million dollars. And I know that. But here's what I believe about every person in this room. You have a story to tell. My pastor said that this way, you have a Jesus story or you are a Jesus story in the making. And I encourage you today to perhaps just go, God, what is it that you want me to share with those around me? in my life, on my job, in my school, in my home, on the street where I live, when I'm taking the trash out Tuesday night or Wednesday night or whatever night before the trash comes, or maybe you're running it out at 6 a.m. and you're leaving it by the road and my neighbor just happens to be doing the same thing. God, is there something that you want me to share that might impact their life? So here's what I want us to do today as we kind of conclude this moment of our service. This is exactly how we kind of concluded the 10 o'clock service as well. If you feel comfortable, I just want you right where you're sitting just to kind of open your hands right in front of you. Maybe right in your lap there. You don't have to lift them high over your head, but just to open your hands and say, God, I'm open. I don't know exactly what I have to share, or perhaps you do. Perhaps you know exactly what the circumstances of your life would lead you to share if the moment presented itself. But God, I'm open. God, I'm really uncomfortable. I don't know how I would do it. I'm so nervous to even think about that, but God, I am open. I think if we'll position ourselves to be open before God, God will create opportunities for us to share our Jesus story with those around us. Let's pray. God, we love you and we thank you today for all that we've heard, for these incredible stories from these incredible people. And so, God, we thank you for that. And God, I pray today that you would help all of us to live our lives open, open to what you would have for us open and willing to be able to share whatever it is that you lead us to share in the story that you're writing in and through our lives. God, I recognize that for the people in this room, perhaps there are circumstances that we're walking through that don't feel like they are in any way a part of your will and your plan for our lives. They seem like a disappointment. They seem like an obstacle. But God, we thank you that you work those things together for your good as we seek and trust you. And so God, we ask you today, to perform your will in our lives and help us to be willing and open to share all that you desire us to share. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Can one more time we just give a hand to those that have shared today? 
Thank you again for listening. If you would like more information about today's message or about our church, we invite you to visit us at cantonchurch.com or on Facebook at facebook.com slash cantonchurchga. 